Answering Mormon's Questions by Bill McKeever and Eric Johnson deals with 36 commonly asked questions by your LDS friends and neighbors. It's a great resource for Christians who want to share their faith with friends and loved ones. Be sure to pick up your copy today at your favorite Christian bookstore. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. This week we've been talking about our experience going through various temple open houses. This is when the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints opens up these buildings prior to their official dedication. At that point, only members in good standing are allowed to enter these buildings. So even if you're a faithful Latter-day Saint, but you're, let's say, not a full tithe payer, and I think we should talk about that because you must be a full tithe payer in order to get a recommend. We mentioned the recommend desk earlier in the week, but you have to have this recommend if you hope to even get in an LDS temple once it's dedicated. Yeah, yeah and that recommend is something you have to do every two years. You get interviewed by the bishop, possibly with the stake president. They're going to ask you a series of questions, including, do you attend church regularly? Do you associate with anybody who's against the church? Do you wear your garments underneath your clothes? Do you drink hot drinks, uh, coffee, tea, um, alcohol, tobacco, not allowed, none of that. Basically, do you follow the word of wisdom, which of course is the Mormon health code found in section 89 of the Doctrine and Covenants. But you mentioned the tithing because uh, the bishop knows exactly what you've given, and you're a lawyer and you're making $300,000 a year and you gave $2,000 this past year. Well, that's not good enough. And in fact, if your daughter is going to get married in the temple and you're the man who has not paid his tithing and will not get his temple recommend, unless he pays that back, they call that tithing settlement. Well, if he does not do that, he will not be allowed to watch his daughter get married in the temple for time and eternity. And in fact, Before that temple recommend desk, in most temples, there's like a little waiting room, and that is the the room of shame, I guess, for the people who did not get their temple recommends, and there's a wedding going on down the hall or upstairs, and they're not invited because that's what the furthest they can go in the temple is this waiting room. And that could even be for non-LDS parents of one of those that is getting married or sealed in the temple you are not allowed to go in there either. You're not allowed to witness the wedding of your child if you are not an LDS member in good standing. That caused a lot of hard feelings among people, and they've they've tweaked their requirements now to where if you're an LDS couple, and let's say you have parents that are not eligible to go in a temple, you can have a ceremony at a local chapel And everyone can come to see that. But then later on, you would go into the temple in order to have your marriage sealed for time and eternity. That's absolutely essential if you hope to get into the celestial kingdom. You must be married for time and eternity. And you can only do that if you are a Latter-day Saint member in good standing. So we've gone through the Saratoga Springs Temple. And and I know this is a very quick uh, overview of it. 
But I was there, as I mentioned earlier this week, with three interns who are helping at my church during the summer who virtually had no understanding of Latter-day Saint theology or practice or even history. And so after we're done, we went out in front of the temple where a lot of the people are gathering with their family and such and getting photographs. And I, I purposely moved off to the side. I didn't want to be in anybody's way. And I was starting to debrief uh, the three interns that I was with. And I'm discussing some of the things that we saw when, out of nowhere, uh, obviously seeing us standing there, and we're not dressed up like most members are dressed up. And so this sister missionary comes over and introduces herself and starts to ask us if we have any questions and basically wanting to engage us in a conversation. I'll tell you, Eric, I, I was a bit frustrated in my conversation with her because she was giving the impression that because Heavenly Father loves us, and she said that more than once, that everything was going to be taken care of for her in the next life. And when I asked her specifically if she knew for sure that she was going to go to the celestial kingdom, that she was qualified for that, unhesitatingly, she said yes. Now, this is kind of uh, unusual Because most of the time when I ask a question like that, many Latter-day Saints hesitate because they know the requirements are very high in order to get into the celestial kingdom, and they are probably very cognizant of the fact that they are not doing everything that they're supposed to be doing in order to get there. They're not keeping celestial law as it's understood in the LDS vernacular. Well, this sister thought for sure that she was going to go there. But what was interesting is when I asked her the requirements in order to get there, she was very textbook. You have to repent of your sins. Well, I had her explain, well, what does that mean? And she gave me a very textbook answer. And basically in Mormonism, repentance is not just confessing your sins, but forsaking your sins, never to repeat them again. And of course, when I asked her if she was doing this, then she was a bit hesitant. She was honest and admitted, well, you know, she had still a lot of work to do. I appreciate that honesty. She also went on to say that you have to keep commandments. And when I asked her how many commandments must you keep, she said all of them. And when I asked her how often must you keep them, she said all of the time. Now, at this point, she's really making me look good because I had already explained this to my three interns before we got there, that this is how they will answer those questions. And she did it to the letter. But yet she wasn't really doing all that. She knew she wasn't keeping all the commandments, but at the same time she was insisting that she was qualified to go to the celestial kingdom. What frustrated me, Eric, is this is not Mormonism. And yet this is what these young missionaries obviously are telling people, and it's really not accurate. So if you were to go by what these missionaries are telling you, you're not going to get a very good understanding of what is really required of an individual in order to get the best that the God of Mormonism has for his people in his church, this restored church started by Joseph Smith. I didn't even feel it was really the place to get in some real in-depth questions could have probably embarrassed her later on. I wasn't wanting to do that. I was wanting my interns to experience what goes on sometimes in a typical conversation with Latter-day Saints. 
I don't think that this sister missionary, and I'm not saying she was lying. I'm just saying she was probably very ignorant of a lot of what her church teaches. But the church doesn't care. They probably love her answers. They don't want the missionaries really going into a lot of detail because then questions are going to be raised. About 10 years ago, they stopped having a place for people to go afterward. Usually it was in the gym of the stake center that was next to the temple. They would have punch and cookies, and they had a ton of missionaries and a place for you to fill out your name and address and give that card to the missionaries so they could come and visit you. What I have found, especially in the last few years, is there's very little follow-up. I went to three different temples the last couple of months, and not one time when I exited and had my booties taken off and put those away, was there a missionary to even see. You had to go find them, and very few of them were walking around. So a much different idea than what they used to do as more of, an, uh, a, more of a way of getting the missionaries to get into the homes. They don't really take advantage of that anymore, and I'm not sure why. And I mean, Saratoga Springs, you could say, well, everybody's LDS who's going through here. And that's true for the most part, probably 90% plus are faithful Latter-day Saints. But I went to Arkansas and also Montana, and uh, certainly there are a lot of Latter-day Saints in Montana, not so many in Arkansas, but the same thing. You had to search for them. Yet, at the temples that I would walk through, if you had a question for somebody, they'd say, ask the missionaries when you get outside, and they'll, they'll answer that for you. One of the rooms that we didn't talk about Bill, but I think we ought to, is the ceiling room. Maybe the most important room besides the celestial room. No ordinances take place inside the celestial room. Every other room has a purpose with ordinances, but not the celestial room. But the the ceiling room is important because that's where couples will get married for time and eternity. There's an altar there for them to kneel at. There's a ceremony that they'll go through. There are mirrors there that if you look into them, there are eternal mirrors you, with your reflection showing eight or nine different generations. Yeah, we should explain that because it's, it, it is kind of a unique experience, the way these mirrors are positioned on opposite walls. And when you look into the one, you see the reflection of a reflection of a reflection, and it's supposed to give you the idea of eternity. It has a good effect. I have to give them credit on that. But again, the only way you're going to be really sealed with your wife for eternity is if both of you are equally righteous. You must both be keeping celestial law. If one or both of those spouses have not been truly repentant of their sins and are not keeping all of the commandments, they're not keeping celestial law, they will be disqualified. So even though they go through this ceremony, the ceremony is not binding as far as God is concerned because it's only binding if you are doing everything you're supposed to be doing because in Mormonism, if you're not, then God is not obligated to keep his part of the bargain. This is the covenant that they make with God. They do their part, then God will do his part. That room is crucial, though. If you want to go to the celestial kingdom as a living person, you do need to get married to your spouse for time and eternity. The thing about the, uh, the, the sealing room is if you have that done before you have children, your children are automatically sealed to you for eternity as well. If you're a convert who comes in later uh, and already have children, you can have those children go in and you can be sealed to them for eternity. But the Latter-day Saints make a big deal, Bill, about how in Christianity we say, till death do us part. Many marriage ceremonies will say that. Well, they will proudly say it's not just till death do us part, but it's for ever and ever. And that's the big part of the attraction for this eternal families. Now, you had mentioned about 
children being automatically sealed to the parents if they are born after they've gone through this sealing ceremony. Again, I think it's important to mention, just as it is essential for the husband and wife to both be keeping celestial law if they hope to be together in the next life, the same is true for the children. If you have a child, let's say, who is maybe not even a believer in Mormonism or is not doing everything they should do or as far as how they've been taught, and that child is not keeping celestial law, even though you may assume that child is going to be sealed to you as a family unit in the next life, if they are not living up to those standards, they will not be there. So while a lot of Latter-day Saints view this temple as something that secures them being together with their family, it doesn't actually do that because it's important that every single member is living the standard. You're exactly right. And Joseph Fielding Smith said in Selections from Answers to Gospel Questions, a uh, priesthood quorum book from 1972 to 73, he's talking about this very idea, and he says those who get married outside the temple do not obtain the kingdom, that is the crown and the glory of the kingdom of God. When they come forth in the resurrection, they have no claim on each other or their children upon them, and there will be weeping, wailing, and gnashing of teeth. If you're a Latter-day Saint and you have not gotten married for time and eternity in the temple, you're no better off than Bill and I, who are also not married in the temple, but you need that temple to get celestial glory. Yeah, we've had Latter-day Saints say that we will probably end up in what they believe to be the terrestrial kingdom. Well, if you don't go to the celestial kingdom as a faithful Latter-day Saint, you also will be assigned to that same terrestrial kingdom where they say we are going. Well, if that's true, then why do I need to become a Latter-day Saint? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.